Welcome to the Jindal Forum for International and Economic Laws audio series. Please note, the following is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. Rwanda-born military leader Bosco Ndaganda was convicted by the trial chamber via the International Criminal Court, ICC, in July 2019 for 18 charges, including 13 counts of war crimes and 5 counts of crimes against humanity. These crimes were allegedly committed in the Aturi district of the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC, in 2002-2003. Here, Naganda was charged for, inter alia, directing murder, rape, the use of child soldiers in warfare, and sexual slavery, in his capacity as a key leader of the Union of Congolese Patriots, UCP, and the UCP's military branch, the Patriotic Forces for the Liberation of Congo, FPLC. In their broader aim, all these activities led by Naganda were directed at the ethnic cleansing of the Lendu and Hema groups in the DRC's eastern regions, including in Aturi. When the trial chamber found him guilty on all counts, its judgment, trial judgment, was widely celebrated as the first instance where the ICC rendered a conviction for crimes concerning sexual violence. This assumed prominence especially given the sheer number of individuals impacted. Taganda is known to have been involved in various armed conflicts across both Rwandan and Congolese territories. In this case alone, there were over 2,000 documented victims directly participating in the proceedings at the ICC. In its recent reparations order, the trial chamber has ordered that Ntaganda's victims must be issued a collective compensation of a record 30 million US dollars, which would be of relief to many further thousands of individuals who did not directly engage in the proceedings. These orders were wholeheartedly welcomed as homages to those who passed away, and as victories for the surviving victims who had been awaiting justice for almost two decades. As one would expect, Ntaganda preferred an appeal on all 18 counts, including challenges of the procedural fairness of his trial. Following this, all 18 counts of appeal have recently been rejected by the majority decisions of the five-judge appeals chamber in its judgment dated March 30, 2021, appeals judgment. However, the focus of this post is not an analysis of the appeals chamber's judgment's holdings on these 18 counts of appeal. Instead, I seek to dissect the appeal simultaneously preferred by the ICC's prosecutor against the trial judgment on one point, the exact meaning of an attack under Article 82E, 4, of the Rome Statute, a crime relating to non-international armed conflicts, NIAC. This post shall analyze this question based on the various opinions delivered by the five judges on this count. Here, in the first part of this post, I will explore the meaning of an attack from the textual and intent-based schools of treaty interpretation. The second part of the post will consider the teleological school of interpretation. Overall, I will argue that a mixture of all these approaches is the most fitting in this case, rather than an isolated one. Nonetheless, in the end, I shall argue that the teleological approach's conclusions are correct. The Prosecutor's Appeal A factual question had arisen as to whether pillaging a hospital and ransacking a church could amount to a war crime under Article 82e, 4, which designates intentionally directing acts against buildings dedicated to religion, and, hospitals a war crime. Therefore, the court had to determine whether pillaging or ransacking these buildings would amount to an attack under this provision. The trial chamber held this in the negative, thus acquitting Naganda on these factual counts, although the same charge under Article 82e, 4, was attracted in other incidents from Aturi. The prosecutor challenged this finding in her appeal, prosecutor, arguing that the chamber erred in narrowly construing the meaning of an attack. Thus, she argued for a broader interpretation of an attack, and further convictions of Naganda on these counts. As the prosecutor submitted, 
although this question is minor when compared to Naganda's charges on other grievous counts, clarifying the law on this point would be of great importance for the protection of the victims of armed conflicts generally, Prosecutor, Kilcrow 3. However, by a majority of 4 to 1, the appeals judgment has rejected the prosecutor's appeal. Two judges, Judge Morrison and Judge Hofmansky, have held in favor of the narrow construal. The other three, Judge Bossa, Judge Ibo Asuji, and Judge Carranza have argued for a broader interpretation of an attack. Of these three judges, two have acquitted Naganda for the charge, for ancillary reasons discussed in the next part of this post. Only one dissenting judge, Judge Carranza held for convicting Naganda on the charge of directing attacks against the hospital and the church. With this backdrop, the Post shall explore the varied reasonings employed in each of these opinions as to the interpretation of an attack. I will begin with the opinion in favor of a narrow construal of an attack, thereafter, proceeding to the broader interpretation. The narrow construal exemplifies a combination of the textual and the intense schools of treaty interpretation, the first of which emphasizes the ordinary meanings of treaty provisions wordings, and the second of which centers around the original intent of state parties, see here. The broader interpretation of an attack is based on the teleological school, which considers of utmost importance the overarching purpose, principles, and aims of a treaty, and aims to maximally implement them. In this case, this would require attention to the purposes of the Rome Statute and International Humanitarian Law, IHL. As I mentioned earlier, in the appeals judgments, none of these approaches offers a complete understanding when seen in isolation. However, before moving to these judgments, let us briefly explore the trial chamber's observations. Trial judgment, no attack. There are two factual incidents for consideration here. First, in the context of a military takeover of the town of Mongwalu, soldiers from the UPC-FPLC had looted the Mongwalu hospital, including their medical equipment, Pilcro Pilcro 514, 1138. The trial chamber categorized this incident into two parts, the takeover of Mongwalu which involved the conduct of hostilities, use of weapons and military force, and in its aftermath, a ratisage operation, which involved the looting, ratisages are defined as sweep and search activities. By implication, the pillage of the Mongwalu hospital was viewed as outside the conduct of hostilities, and therefore, seen as independent from the use of military force. Now, the chamber defined an attack as an act of violence against the adversary, Pilcro 1141. Since pillaging was not an act of violence or the use of arms, looting the hospital was not seen as an attack. Second, UPC-FPLC soldiers coming from Mongwalu, after they assaulted the town, entered the town of Sayo, in continuation of the Radisage operation. Finding this to have occurred some time after the assault, the chamber noted the soldiers to have ransacked the church's infrastructure, dug trenches around it, and set camp inside, Pilcro 526. Again, since the chamber considered the church incident to have occurred after the armed violence, it did not consider this event as an attack in the absence of a continued conduct of hostilities, Pilcro 1142. Given this, it held there was no attack on the church and no attraction of Article 82E, 4, of the Rome Statute in either case. Both these findings have been upheld by Judge Morrison and Judge Hofmansky in their common separate opinion, Morrison, Hofmansky, J.J., which confirmed this narrow construal of an attack. Their assertions of law shall now be explored. Text and Intent Judge Morrison, Judge Hofmansky. To begin with, it requires mention that Article 82E writes that the crimes enlisted in its subclauses are within the established framework of international law concerning NIACs. This means that its provisions should be interpreted harmoniously with IHL frameworks governing NIACs, and accordingly, fragmentations between the Rome Statute and IHL must be avoided. 
In other words, to understand what an attack is for the purpose of Article 82E, 4, recourse must be had to its general meaning under IHL. Additional protocol I to the Geneva Conventions, which elaborates on the protections during international armed conflicts, defines attacks under Article 49 as, acts of violence against the adversary, whether in offense or defense. The International Committee of the Red Cross, in its commentary, Pilcro 4783, to the additional protocols, recognizes that this definition extends identically to additional protocol 2 to the Geneva Conventions, which relates to NIACs. This definitional requirement of an act of violence is no surprise. Indeed, earlier on this forum, I had explored in detail how the very understanding of an armed conflict requires some form of use of arms, that is, the use of kinetic military force. Given this, if one considers an act of pillaging or ransacking a monument in and of itself, then that act alone ought not to amount to an attack for the purpose of Article 82e, 4. There would be two concerns with the opposite view, first, it would go against how IHL understands an attack, which would not be allowed by the text of the provision. Second, it may result in a serious dilution of the threshold of an attack to an extent where actions that were not reasonably envisioned would incur individual criminal responsibility. Such a view would have to be avoided not only based on the intense school of treaty interpretation, but also because it would contravene Article 22 of the Rome Statute, which requires crimes to be strictly construed, and in favor of the person being, prosecuted. Consequently, there is good reason to exclude pillaging or ransacking from an attack's purview. These are some of the main factors which find appreciation in the combined opinion of Judge Morrison and Judge Hofmansky, Morrison, Hofmansky, J.J., Pilcro Pilcro 27, 29 and 41. Clearly, there is a strong emphasis on the text and original intent of the parties. Besides this, there are two more reasons the judges consider in upholding the narrow construal. First, Article 7-2 writes that for the purpose of Article 7-1, which specifically deals with crimes against humanity, an attack must include multiple commissions of acts of violence, a deviation from the IHL definition. Thus, where a special meaning is to be given to an attack in the Rome Statute, the text itself has provided for it, textual school. Second, the judges extensively consulted the preparatory works of Article 82e, 4, and reached the conclusion that the state parties intended for a limited meaning to be given to an attack, Morrison, Hofmansky, J.J., Pilcro Pilcro 32-39. All these considerations support the idea that pillaging or ransacking a property alone will not amount to an attack. However, there is a crucial question that Judge Morrison and Judge Hofmansky have failed to ask. Was the trial chamber correct in the first place to divide the episode into two parts, one with the military activities, and the second with the reticage? Could the reticage have been a part and parcel of the military activities? If this is true, then the pillaging and ransacking would be treated as a part or a continuation of the attack, thus attracting Article 82e, 4. In that case, the temporal discontinuity between the military violence and the radisage operation would become open to challenge. This question, along with the teleological readings of the other judges, will be considered in the second part of this post. You can read Part 2 here. Dash. Abhijit Srivastava is an associate editor at the Jindal Forum for International and Economic Laws. He is currently pursuing his BA, LL.B. Huns, at Jindal Global Law School. Dash. Image, Eva Plevier slash AP.